2: Now
3: gold to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future go to noble gold investments.com now noble gold investments.com this performance may not be indicative of future results investing in precious metals including gold involves risks consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision
1: From
4: this day forward, a good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Red Hill News Live.
5: I will bring it back.
4: I just want to give a big shout out to Vector for inspiring me to get a soundboard of Donald Trump saying awesome things. And uh, yes, you were right, Vector. That numbers, that was for you. Do me a favor, guys. If you haven't yet, please help me out. Hit that like button. Hit the share button. Help us out. Leave a comment down below. Oh, Thank you very much, Vector. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is a soundboard. It's online and the volume is not consistent. Some of them are better than others. Some of them are way too loud. But today we're going to be talking about the long, slow, inevitable death of New York City and the career of Judge Arthur and Gorin, the human ashtray. We're also going to be talking about a lot of other things. Too many things to discuss. Looks like there's some hanky-panky taking place in the state of Nevada. Shouldn't uh, surprise anyone. Got an update on that missing Crossfire Hurricane binder. And, of course... So much more. So sit back, relax, and grab your popcorn. We're going to be right back after this. Well, bad news. It sounds like the Fed has taken the punch bowl away from the party yet again because the stock market has been betting on March rate cuts. But not so fast because all three indexes just got pummeled on the news that rate cuts are off the table. Now, is this why J.P. Morgan and UBS are calling for a 23% drop in the S&P? Let me tell you something. This is the longest time we've ever had in history between recessions. And right now, that recession indicator is ringing off the hook. It's most severe alarm in that 40-year history. So either you think Bidenomics is working... Or you're buying gold. And since we all know Bidenomics isn't working, isn't it time you protected your retirement by getting gold? Right now, you can call the proud Americans of the Patriot Gold Group today and do it before it's too late. All you gotta do is mention me, Zach Payne, and this show, Red Pill News, on Red Pill 78, and you will always get the best-in-class service from Patriots protecting Patriots. The Patriot Gold Group has the No Fee for Life IRA, where your IRA, or 401k, it can be in physical gold and silver and you might be eligible for the No Fee for Life IRA on qualifying rollovers. So give them a call today at 888-857-6092 and request your free investor guide today. Patriot Gold Group is a consumer affairs top rated gold IRA dealer for seven years in a row. Call them today at 888-857-6092. And when you support my sponsors, you support this channel. All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. Vector, this one's for you. In a perfect world, it would have worked. Why isn't it working? Little Rocket Man. There we go. Little Rocket Man. All right, guys, thank you so much, everybody, for being here. I sincerely appreciate you. I am extremely excited about today's program. We have a lot of information to discuss, and we're going to begin with that bit of hanky-panky that I uh, mentioned in the introduction. That would be in the state of Nevada. So let's dive right in. Here we go. All right, so Uh, Over the weekend, there was a wave of confusion that washed through voters in the state of Nevada. There was, of course, a presidential primary on February 6th. And as we know, the primary itself was largely ceremonial. Nevada and the GOP there were working with the caucus system. That's why President Trump knew in advance that he had already won that state. It's also why President Trump didn't bother to put himself on the ballot, because it would have cost money, it would have uh, spent time, and it would have used resources that were simply unnecessary. Of course, Nikki Haley wanted to make sure she was on that ballot so that when President Trump was crowned the winner of their caucus, she could tell the world and uh, go on MSNBC or CNN or whoever else would listen and suggest that the primary itself was rigged. Well, Certainly, it looks like there was some strangeness taking place, perhaps a precursor for what we might see come the November general election. Because, rest assured, the problems that exist in the primary are more than likely still going to be present when we get there. So what is the strange circumstance that voters in Nevada found themselves to be embroiled in? Well, they were surprised to learn that mail-in ballots that were either sent out in their name that they never actually cast, or even mail-in ballots that they never intended to cast, had actually shown as being counted. So a wave of confusion crashed through the Nevada desertscape when a lot of people just went online to go ahead and check and see what the situation was, and they found out that the mail-in ballots that had been registered to their voter identification number had actually counted in the February 6th presidential primary. They had not even participated, probably because many of them were aware that there was really no need to even vote in that primary election. So it was reported by a local news station that these Voter irregularities in their histories, uh, of course, prompted an immediate response from the secretary of state, when it all erupted over the weekend. So on Monday, they came out. They spoke about what exactly was happening. And I have to admit, I was anxious to learn how they were going to explain this one away. So the issues were first identified on Sunday. When voters began to log in, they noticed these discrepancies in their voting records. I will give the state of Nevada credit for allowing a system for voters to log in and ensure that their vote was counted in the first place. That same system also allowed the These people who had not voted to recognize that their vote had allegedly counted. So the statement from the secretary of state's office goes, I'm sorry, the, the, the initial reporting from the local news station said on Sunday, February 18th, the secretary of state's office became aware of possible technical issues related to the vote history of individuals who did not participate in the presidential preference primary. Let me just say that votes that were never cast being counted towards a presidential primary is a little bit more than a technical issue. But as you'll find out, the state Phrased it exactly as such. Elections IT staff began working on the issue immediately, and they met with county clerks and registrars on Monday morning. They were working to resolve the issue as soon as possible, and they were providing information exactly as it arrived. So if you were to go online and you were a resident of Nevada, you would see this, the date of the election, the method of vote, and, of course, uh, you would see for other elections as well. So here... People saw mail-in ballot counted. Now, apparently in the state of Nevada, it is an automatic mail-in ballot state. You have to opt out of receiving a mail-in ballot. And so that means that every single person who's registered to vote in the state of Nevada is automatically going to have a mail-in ballot produced for them. Obviously, this causes a lot of problems. We saw a lot of this happening in the 2020 election, and uh, I'm sure that we saw it in 2022. I'm sure that we'll see it again here in 2024. So the problem allegedly arose from a number of different counties who failed to follow correct procedures for updating their voter registration data, uh, what procedures would that be? Hmm. It seems like if a person never voted, there would be nothing to update, right? Because they would never have had a ballot that was tallied. But each county is responsible for a nightly upload of their voter registration to a database that is housed by the state government. There, it generates a public voter file, which is then viewable on the state's website. But the necessary steps to exclude non-returning mail-in ballot voters were apparently missed. I guess it's an easy thing to do, which then means that your ballot is automatically going to be counted regardless of what you intended to do. So this resulted in a display on the website of incorrect voting histories for the people who went and looked. Now, the, st- the, secretary, of office, the secretary of state's office says that they are in the process of validating new files from each county. They're going to upload that, and then the online information is going to be corrected. Now, they had a little bit more to say about it as well. They did call it, again, a glitch, a technical error. And the website apparently has no connection to your ballot actually having been tabulated. Now, my previous praise for the state of Nevada offering a method for the residents of Nevada to ensure that their ballot being counted, uh, that immediately is wiped away when you learn that the public facing system has no direct connection to the private tabulation system. That doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like it's a bit of a placation uh, to make sure that people believe their ballots have counted. Because if the tallies that you log in and see on the public facing side do not accurately represent what the state itself has incorrectly or correctly tabulated, then what the hell is that number? Why are they even showing it to you? It seems like one should have a direct correlation to the other. So the Nevada Secretary of State is, in fact, a Democrat, uh, somebody who is uh, vehemently against any sort of election integrity efforts. And this glitch, apparently, is the result of a problem with the counties failing to properly upload that voter registration system. So there is supposed to be a code that's executed when each county uploads their voter registration data. That would be the uh, information about who actually sent in a mail-in ballot, because those are counted at the county level. Uh, Jim Kyle says, geez, I'm glad these states are on the up and up. (laughs) Wink, wink, wink. Uh, Now, as the state's database is updated, as this code is executed on their website, the voter registration file that Nevada and C is available to them publicly at vote.nv.gov. But I ask again, what is the difference? What good is it if you have a public-facing informational segment of your website that has no basis in fact or reality? The systems used by some counties require additional steps to be taken to ensure that voters who did not return their ballot do not have a vote history. The Secretary of State's office said that those steps were not taken and it resulted in incorrect data on the website. Let me ask you this, isn't it a problem? Doesn't it seem like maybe it's a problem if the default is voted yes? Because if they have a default as if someone voted, well, then that indicates that potentially a specific vote is automatically tallied for one candidate or another or one issue or another. And I also have to ask the question, why is it that there are different systems that are in place at one county versus in being in place in another county? Uh, if we're using a sort of standardized system to upload voter information, vote tallies, etc., to a state-based computer system, Why isn't it just done the exact same way in every county? Seems like you could save a lot of time, you could save a lot of money, and you could ensure that there are no uh, technical glitches like this that pop up. So they said that all of the data is going to be corrected within 48 hours. This error relates to the code used when a voter is sent a mail-in ballot and does not return it. It has no connection in any way to vote tabulation. This just seems to me to be divorced from reality. Uh, if you're going to tabulate the votes... And that's going to automatically trigger a public-facing piece of data that a a voter is going to log in and see. Why can't they just be directly correlated one-to-one? Why does it have to be a different system that uploads to another system and then the third system is the one that actually is the one that counts? Because if you log in to the Nevada Nevada government website and you see that your vote was tallied, But then you actually learn at a later date that the state never received a ballot or perhaps the ballot was tabulated for the wrong candidate. Well, you didn't know about it at the time and there was no way for you to fix it. Uh, What about people who were who never requested a mail-in ballot but were automatically sent one, never intended to vote, but instead that ballot was intercepted by a bad actor and that bad actor instead casts that ballot for the candidate of their choice. Well, the person who initially had the ballot printed in their name, they never intended to vote. They never intended to even look and see if a tally had been checked for their name. Uh, this, again, it, as we saw in 2020, it is an opportunity that is ripe for fraud. Uh, thank you so much, Teresa Pagano, a longtime viewer of the show. Appreciate you joining as a member over there on Rumble. Also, thank you to Sean Joe, Daisy Chains, and Net Folks one for dropping cookies over there at pilled.net. So from the additional reporting coming from the the, the local news station, the technical issue was causing primary mail-in ballots across Nevada to show as counted when voters had never mailed a ballot or voted at all. The voter history glitch has nothing to do with the tabulation, which happens at the county level. But the actual information that's uploaded about the voter file also happens at the county level. I feel like there there there's too many opportunities for fraud. Uh, there is too much opportunity for confusion. And there's far too many opportunities for bad actors to come in and cast a ballot for you if you are none the wiser. So these county clerks had mailed ballots for the primaries to those registered as Democrat or Republican, I guess uh, independents were not sent ballots, uh, who had requested them or not opted out. Over the weekend, several people emailed 8 News Now saying they never voted by mail or voted in the primary, but the state's online system showed their ballot was counted. Now... Nevada Governor Joe Lombardo, who was the sheriff of the uh, Las Vegas police during the 2017 shooting incident that took place uh, at the casino uh, at the the route. Was it, I'm sorry, was it the Route 99 festival or something like that? I, I haven't thought about this in quite a long time, but uh, Lombardo is now the governor of the state of Nevada. Uh, He was not a popular choice for the state of Nevada. I think a lot of people who are from Nevada believe that Joe Lombardo was rewarded with the governor's position because he towed the FBI line in the aftermath of that shooting. And, of course, uh, the uh, ridiculous investigation that was never able to attribute any sort of motive or anything else also uh, failed spectacularly in terms of ballistics and forensics. Jim Kyle says, whatever happened to the Arizona governor, Katie Hobbs, and cartel owning her. Well, absolutely nothing. Nothing arose from that, probably because Katie Hobbs is the governor. Uh, Her uh, attorney general is uh, the former uh, 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 chief of elections for Maricopa County. The secretary of state is also an ally. So all of the state government in Arizona right now is an ally of Katie Hobbs. Uh, The people who came forward with those allegations To my knowledge, they never brought forth any additional information that could be used to perhaps uh, bring about an indictment. Maybe they did, and nobody in Arizona was willing to actually take up the case. Like I said, I haven't seen any uh, additional reporting on it, so I can't really tell you. Kitsko says, off subject, but do you know what is the proper name of the rainbow banana tree you have, and where did you get them? I want one for the Hubby's B-Day. So I actually have... An ice cream banana tree. There was a different rainbow tree. It's like a rainbow eucalyptus. And I never bought it um, because uh, they grow really, really fast and really, really tall. They're beautiful. Tell you what, let me, I mean, this is the end of this story. So let me show you this because these are so cool. Rainbow eucalyptus. Check this out. I mean, this looks like it's fake, but this is exactly what it looks like in nature. So this is a rainbow eucalyptus. Now, another reason that i uh, I never ordered one because uh, you can get them for like a hundred bucks uh, for like five feet tall, I think, uh, so they're at least a couple years old. Um, there are, there are apparently a number of retailers online that will sell you a different species of eucalyptus tree and tell you that it's a rainbow eucalyptus. And then you don't know that it's not a rainbow eucalyptus uh, until it's far too late. And you've just got a different big tree that is not nearly as pretty. But take a look at that. How cool does that look? I mean, it's amazing to me that something like this exists in nature. And, yes, I know. I saw the gay comment. <laughs> It is a rainbow-colored tree. But you know what? Uh, all these colors exist in nature. I mean, this is the, the spectrum of visible light, and uh, I don't think that it's fair that one group of any sort should have a claim on the beauty of the rainbow. This is a gift from God as far as I'm concerned. So I am perfectly willing to go ahead and uh, and claim it, reclaim it, shall we say. All right. So, yeah, I, I was really, really pleased, uh, pleasantly surprised to find out that those things exist. I've never seen one in person, but apparently they, they do have some of them down here in Florida. Carito. Carito says, LOL, it's cool. We have to take the rainbow back. Take the rainbow back. I think that's exactly what we need to do. All right. So, listen to this. Now, we, we've had a couple of interesting stories, uh, some, some revelations about the dangers of the COVID-19 vaccines that have come out in a uh, uh, popular information fairly recently this latest one is something that we have all been worried about as unvaxed people or even as people who got one jab and never got sick and decided that they wanted to stay away from any future injections of mrna genetic modification clot shots apparently the american red cross is requiring covid-19 vaccine recipients to call a specific hotline to see if they are still eligible for blood donations. This indicates that there are at least a certain segment of the population who have received COVID-19 vaccines who are being refused the right to donate blood. Now, I have to say... I think that that's good news for the rest of us. A lot of people have been seriously worried about the possibility of receiving a blood transfusion during the course of an emergency or perhaps a surgery in the hospital, only to find out later that they were infused with the blood of a vaccinated person, which would
5: essentially uh, override your personal
2: Order now
6: fighterflare.com
4: choice not to get vaccinated, because as we know, inside the bodies of some people who are vaccinated, they essentially become spike protein factories, which essentially initiates a process of inflammation all throughout your body and can make you very, very ill. The other day, we spoke about that study that was done by a very reputable scientific organization that identified uh, many different health maladies that we've been tracking for the last several years. So the American Red Cross on their website are clarifying their position. They are stating that it follows FDA guidance for blood donation eligibility for people who have received one or more of the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, deferral times may vary depending on the type of vaccine that's administered. No specific word on which COVID-19 vaccine they are looking to weed out of the blood supply population. But donors who have been inoculated with an inactivated or RNA-based vaccines like the ones from AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, Novavax, or Pfizer are now typically not deferred, provided they are symptom-free and feeling well at the time of the donation. So we also know. That it's possible for someone to have gotten the COVID-19 vaccine, perhaps experience limited side effects in the wake, the immediate wake of getting that injection uh, and then appear to be relatively healthy for perhaps some time before eventually developing some sort of systemic illness, something that doesn't rear its ugly head immediately at the start. And then, of course, we also know that there are people who get the COVID-19 vaccines and then they experience no side effects at all. However, the Red Cross, following this FDA guidance, uh, are looking to weed out people who have gotten any number of COVID-19 vaccines. They say, if you've received a COVID-19 vaccine, you will need to provide the manufacturer name when you come to donate. Uh, it's interesting that they're looking for the specific kinds. Uh, and the specific, uh, excuse me, and uh, you should also receive a card or printout. Indicating what COVID-19 vaccine was received, we encourage you to bring that to your next donation. In most cases, in most cases, there is no deferral time for individuals who received a COVID-19 vaccine as long as they are symptom-free and feeling well at the time of donation. The following eligibility guidelines apply to each CV-19 vaccine received, including boosters. There is no deferral time for eligible blood donors who are vaccinated with an inactivated or RNA-based COVID-19 vaccine manufactured by AstraZeneca, Janssen, Moderna, Novavax, or Pfizer. Eligible blood donors who received a live attenuated COVID-19 vaccine or do not know what type of vaccine they received must wait two weeks before giving blood. If you have an appointment scheduled and need to change your donation date based on the above guidance, click here. If you have further questions, you can call the Red Cross. So, The policy, obviously, is resurfacing uh, among discussion of people online or people in real life who have gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. Also, of course, people who have opposed receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, There are people, obviously, who are advocating for blood banks to exclusively provide unvaccinated blood, because the, the fear, of course, is that blood from a vaccinated person of perhaps a particular batch or a particular vaccine type might compromise that true blood status, that pure blood status. This is a pretty high-demand issue, and, you know, I've thought about it myself. And the only thing that, honestly, I think I would be really comfortable with would be if I had to be put into a situation where I had to undergo surgery or be put into some type of an anesthetized state, I would want to donate my own blood ahead of time allow my body to sort of, uh, you know, build it back up, and then go into the appointment and have that blood on hand should any emergencies take place. But let's say that you're in the midst of a major surgery and a surgeon with shaky hands, maybe because they got the jab, ends up nicking an artery and you lose a significant amount of blood in a very short period of time. What if there's not enough blood? What if there's not enough of your blood? Obviously, they're going to have other blood on hand, but there's no way to tell where that blood came from. Uh, I think this is a, a genuine question. And I have suggested on a number of different occasions, you know, hey, is there anybody out there who wants to partner with me on a blood, a blood bank specifically for the pure blood? You know, I don't have any money. I, I only have my voice that I can lend to the project, but I have some ideas on how it might be uh, best marketed. Because I think there is a market for it. Uh, I think that if there was a pure blood blood bank, that specifically catered to non-vaccinated people had the exact same rigorous standards as the American Red Cross or any other blood bank uh, in America. Then we we could probably uh, provide a, a necessary service for people who are worried about the the, the purity or the safety uh, of the blood that they might receive from the general supply. There's also the question of um, contaminated blood because largely those blood banks are getting platelets, they're getting plasma from drug users and homeless people. I mean, like if I lived in San Francisco, well, first of all, I wouldn't live in San Francisco, but if I did, there's no way I would be getting blood from anybody in that area. All right. Uh, and then, of course, there is the question of our Surgeon General down here in Florida, Dr. Joseph Ladapo. I interviewed his wife at one time here on the show. It was a great show. You guys should check it out if you didn't. Uh, you know, he has suggested that there is also the threat of fragments of DNA, which should not be present in these mRNA vaccines. And because they are present, because of the nature of an mRNA clot shot, that DNA fragment coming from who knows where, God knows what, could insimilate itself into your genetic code, which would, of course, alter the course of your life and the development of your body from that point forward. Simply not something I'm willing to do. Uh, So if there's anybody out there who has been vaccinated and you have been afraid of whether or not you're going to develop symptoms or some sort of uh, sickness at some point in the future... I've talked about this before. There is a website called howbadismybatch.com, and you can input the batch number for your COVID-19 vaccine, and it will take you to a series of reports from other people who received injections from that same batch. And you might be lucky enough to find out that there are no signs and symptoms or side effects from people who received that COVID-19 clot shot. However, you also may be a person who's deathly ill right now and you go and, and you put that batch number in and you find that you're not alone. And then perhaps you might have a, a source of support now and into the future. All right. So moving on from that we got to check in with miss fanny willis miss fanny willis the da of fulton county georgia uh, apparently fanny was back in the news over the weekend not for her relationship with nathan wade but because she accepted award at her local church remember when the news initially came out about miss fanny getting her biscuits buttered by big big d over there big nathan wade um <laughs> She went and spoke at her church and she blamed the big R word, racism, uh, on people's, uh, questioning of her and Nathan's relationship. And of course, Nathan's, uh, service, his, his actual experience in terms of, you know, uh, taking on this case. But. Over the weekend, she was at Atlanta Berean Church. She was accepting an award for Black History Achievement. And during her appearance, she quoted a Bible verse, as she is often wont to do, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. There are things going on recently that I won't talk about, Willis stated, alluding to the ongoing case that President Trump and Michael Roman have to get her kicked off for financially benefiting from her clandestine sexual relationship with someone who worked for her. Of course, the relationship started long before they ever worked together, but that's neither here nor there. That's a question for Judge Scott McAfee, who I hope is going to have the courage to do what needs to be done here. But Fanny continued, the scripture they are keeping sending me is no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I need you all to hear me, though. They did not say the weapons will not form. And that's the part I didn't hear until recently. Just because they won't prosper, it doesn't mean they won't form. Even if you feel like everything you're doing in your life is the right thing and you're making mistakes all along the way, but you're trying. You know, Fanny, nobody's perfect, all right? But there are some pretty basic things when you're in a position of authority that you can not do to ensure that people don't form weapons against you. In your instance, having a secret relationship that you failed to alert the court about... The same relationship that you and your boyfriend actively lied when filing legal briefs in court in a number of different instances. And also failing to allow your district attorney's office and the county of Fulton to become fully aware of your financial benefits as a result of hiring that secret boyfriend. Well... These are questions for ethical considerations. And those ethical considerations should have been taken into account before you made those decisions. Fanny, you've been a lawyer for three decades. Girl, you've been a lawyer for over 30 years. Okay. It's not like you don't know what you're not supposed to do. I would imagine you've got a fairly good grasp on the law, but I do have to say, Fanny comes from a lineage, uh, that has a loose grasp on what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate in the law. Now, Fanny's father was one of the founding members of the Black Panthers. I think that's great. I think organization, political organization, is great. The Black Panthers went bad when the FBI infiltrated them to make them radicalized so that they could then be targeted by the federal government. Now, I don't know where Fannie Willis' father comes in on that. Was he working with the feds back in the day when he was at the Black Panthers? Uh, Or was he one of the good guys? Was he just one of the people who wanted to start a a black empowerment organization? I'm not sure. I'm not certain on that one. But I will tell you that when he made the decision to have a sexual relationship with the terrorist who killed a judge, well, that, my friends, was a bridge too far. I wonder, you know, after hearing all of the advice that Fanny's father gave her about money and, you know, what to do, what not to do. I wonder if uh, Fanny's father, the lawyer, uh, ever made any mention of not sleeping with criminals. Hmm. Probably not, because it's alleged that Fannie Willis also had sexual relationships with gang members there in Fulton County uh, when she was the district attorney. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. But anyways, the testimony that we heard last week is a revelation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Because we had certain stories being told by Fannie Willis, certain stories being told by Nathan Wade, and then wholly different stories that were being told by the witnesses, the witnesses who did not want to be there, who would have no reason to lie. They simply did not want to impeach themselves for the benefit of Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis. Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade are looking at potentially having their law degrees or their 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 uh, their bar status withdrawn. Uh, they could lose their status as lawyers. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to serve as the district attorney any longer, and Nathan would no longer be able to be a special prosecutor. And his wife would probably continue to take him to the bank. But Wade testified that his relationship with Fannie Willis began in 2022. That's after Willis opened the case against Trump in 2021. Robin Yarty, that was her former friend and former employee, friend since college, we'll say, said that Fannie Willis definitely had been dating Nathan Wade since 2019. That story contradicts both of them. Now, what's interesting is that both Nathan and Fannie gave two different time periods for the starting of their relationship. I believe that it was within a month of each other, but a contradiction is still a contradiction. Now, Nathan Wade also said that his relationship with Fanny wasn't a secret. It was private, but uh, there's, you know, there's obviously there, there's a uh, a uh, uh, the, the difference is a the semantics there, OK, because if it's a secret, it means you don't tell anybody about it. If it's private, it just means that you don't talk about it all the time. Certainly, it's a secret because they failed to disclose it on their ethics forms uh, when it came down to this case and, of course, being lawyers and working at the district attorney's office. Uh, this is a, certainly a distinction that I think most people would not buy, and I don't know that the judge actually bought it either. But not disclosing it to Fulton County, not disclosing it to Judge Scott McAfee mm-hmm. – yeah, that definitely seems like they were trying to keep a secret. Uh, and, of course, uh, Fanny's claims that she reimbursed Nathan Wade in cash for everything. That one is a difficult pill to swallow. That's the exact same sort of thing you would expect a criminal to say if they were on trial for something of this magnitude. Say that they were getting payoffs from, you know, one person or another or they it was another politician and they were receiving a financial benefit from someone else that they were working with and having a sexual relationship with. Nobody's going to buy it. OK, they're going to say, what you, you don't have a single receipt. You don't have a single ATM withdrawal. You don't have a, a single credit card slip that you can send us. Uh No, unfortunately, nobody believes it. Fanny Willis would have had to have had somewhere over $10,000 uh, in her home. And although she said that her dad told her to keep six months cash at a time, she also admitted that she never did that. So the testimonies raised a number of questions about their relationship. And uh, we can ask these questions. Uh, given that one witness's testimony is enough to establish a fact, we need to ask why we shouldn't believe the witness who testified about Fannie Willis. And Nathan Wade's relationship beginning earlier. If we're thinking about this in terms of what would be necessary in a court of law, because that's where we were. Tricia said, Zach, there is a judge on YouTube who knows Fanny's dad. He said, yes, he was in the Black Panthers in the 60s. He's now a conservative. You should see that judge on YouTube. The Dana show. Hilarious. I will check it out. So, uh, also... Fanny Willis was she specifically using cash to hide reimbursements with Nathan Wade for travel expenses? Is it a thing that you do often? Do you always use cash for such sorts of transactions? Well, the answer to that is no, because that there was that time when Robin Yurty and Fanny Willis were sharing space. Uh, at least Robin Yurty was renting from Fanny Willis. And there was money that exchanged hands between Robin and Fanny. Fanny actually paid her using a cash app type of application. So there is a receipt for that. So we know that Fanny doesn't exclusively use cash. So then the question is, why did you choose to use cash in this specific instance when you're smart enough to know that if you would have used a, another form of payment and kept a receipt for it, the ethical consideration simply would not have been asked. Now, uh, also, what would Fannie normally ask a defendant who claimed to do the same thing, keeping cash off the books just in case they needed to pay somebody back? That certainly suggests to me, and I think it suggests to most people having watched Fannie Willis's display on Friday, that there was something to hide. And I think that any prosecutor worth their salt would feel the exact same way. The other aspect of this is that secret relationship. Why was it that they kept this relationship a secret for so long? Why was it necessary? That indicates that there was something to hide and they were fully aware that they were doing something wrong. And why was Fanny Willis so specific when asked if Nathan Wade had visited her, she restrained her answer to South Fulton. Did he visit her anywhere else? She was oddly specific about the location of Nathan Wade coming to Bump Uglies at whatever place she was staying. Certainly, there is the idea, based upon her answer, it leaves it open to the idea that Nathan Wade and her had met in other clandestine locations. Uh, I think that all of these questions need to be answered, and I am hoping that Judge Scott McAfee does the right thing. All right, yesterday we spoke briefly about the death of Russian opposition leader Alexander Navalny. Now, I have stated my position on Navalny. Navalny was uh, essentially working with his aide To get money from MI6 to engage in a color revolution to destabilize and depose Vladimir Putin and install himself as president. Now, Navalny, when he was alive, had compared himself to a Trump-like figure. Uh, However, I don't know that his politics necessarily aligned in the exact same way. he was looking to put himself into a position of power. And anytime I've ever seen that happen anywhere else around the world, you know, that's an authoritarian type of behavior. The people who do that, they're generally not looking to engage in some sort of Republican democracy or anything like that. But what's funny about the statement that we just got from the Russian government, um, they have now officially said that Alex- Alexei Navalny died of sudden death syndrome. And they're actually refusing to hand his body over to Navalny's family. I guess that Navalny's wife actually joined Twitter over the weekend and put out a couple of videos uh, detailing her thoughts and obviously her belief that uh, the Russians and, uh, you know, of course, they're blaming Vladimir Putin and Trump directly, uh, that the Russians uh, were responsible for Navalny's death. Clearly, life inside a Siberian prison hell is not going to be, uh, you know, all that interesting uh, or, or, or even, you know, comfortable. But what's funny to me is that the Russians are blaming sudden death syndrome, which did not exist until the preponderance of mRNA clot shots began to be delivered into the general population. Was Alexei Navalny actually vaccinated? I don't know. But uh, you have to also ask the question, why would it be that the Russians are refusing to hand over his body? That certainly looks like perhaps there is something to hide. If Navalny died in the course of perhaps being tortured or if he had been starved to death or something like that, uh, then obviously that would be visible and evident in the examination of his body, and certainly the family would want some sort of uh, autopsy to be done. Now, his spokesperson, who is still speaking on his behalf, Kira Yarmsh, said on Sunday, it's obvious that the Russians are lying and doing everything they can to avoid handing over the body. She also said that Navalny was murdered at the prison, and that officials uh, have said that no crime had been found during their preliminary investigation of the death. Again, this is kind of par for the course when it comes to prisons and certainly a brutal Russian uh, gulag like this now. Navalny's mother, I guess, went to the prison on Sunday and she was told her son had died from sudden death syndrome and that his body had already been taken to the nearest uh, um, uh, prison camp, essentially, for the final, I guess, uh, details that needed to be taken care of. Now, his mother and his lawyers then proceeded to the location Navalny's body had been taken, but they were told that the morgue was not open for business and they never actually got the body. So the location of his body is actually still in, uh, question number one indiana dad says thinking fanny may have to pay someone to dip their wick in her <laughs> um scum dumpster so cash is least trackable when soliciting a prostitute mohab <laughs> oh, trisha says this is the video i was referring to actually his words was he reads conservative news i actually in his testimony he said i sometimes listen to conservative radio and I felt like that comment was kind of a throwaway to make it seem like that's the reason that he had heard anything about the case. I also forgot to mention that Fannie Willis's father had been sequestered. That meant that he was not supposed to see any reporting on the uh, actual hearing or any of the information surrounding the testimony. And also, Fannie Willis was not supposed to have been present when her father had been prepped by the lawyers working for Fulton County. Oh, this is, this is, this is, um what's his name, man? This is Judge, Judge Joe Brown. Judge, uh, maybe the, the real Dana is the channel, but take a look at this. Judge Joe Brown. You guys remember Judge Joe Brown? He used to have a TV show that was on when I was a kid. And of course, he's a Detroit native and he's a staunch conservative as well. Uh, but thank you very much, Patricia. I appreciate that. Ainsley says Russia did not kill him. CIA and USA killed him. I, you know, at, at this point, I don't even know that it really matters um, because Navalny is dead. And every side is going to look to use his death for some sort of political gain. Um, what I think is most likely. Is that. The, the harsh conditions inside of a Russian prison are, are going to lead to someone's expedited death. Um, I will say this, Navalny being a prisoner that was imprisoned for treasonous behavior, it's likely that people inside that prison would have not have been too kind to him. But do I think it's possible that the USA and the CIA, perhaps even more likely MI6, had had, had had people placed inside that prison that could get to Navalny and then ensure that he ended up dead and wouldn't be able to talk. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Uh, I I simply, at the end of the day, don't think that we're ever going to learn the true nature of Alexei Navalny's death. But it's in the best interest of his family and his spokespeople to blame the death on Russia. And then, of course, the political left here in America are going to use Alexei Navalny's death to blame it on Donald Trump. And of course, the Russians uh, are going to blame it on sudden death syndrome. Uh, I tend to believe that the Blaming of his death on sudden death syndrome is a stab right in the eye of the Western elites who pushed the jab on the majority of the population. I also think that it's fairly likely that Alexei Navalny, you know, if he had the same sort of. Um, of uh, 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 politics as the political left here in America. He he likely did end up getting vaccinated. All right. So moving on from Navalny's death, no matter how it occurred, uh, let's take a look at the death of the former prime minister of Haiti uh, or rather the former president, I'm sorry, of Haiti. Do you guys remember when this happened? I reported on it at the time. Um, this was President Jovenel Moise. Jovenel Moise, at the time I had suggested it, it would be likely that this was a, uh, a CIA or some type of an intelligence hit. Well, it turns out that a hundred and, uh, excuse me, a, 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 a number of people have been indicted now, finally, years after his death, including his wife the woman who he was married to at the time. So, obviously, Haiti is one of those places that also has a tenuous grasp on justice. And the people that are running that country at any given point tend to be fairly corrupt. So I don't know if this is true or if this is an effort to simply silence his wife, who may have some knowledge about who the true killers are. But let me tell you, what's being reported. Uh, judge Walter Wesser-Voltaire uh, yesterday issued a 122-page indictment against dozens of people who allegedly were involved in the assassination of President Jovenel Moyes. Now, one of the indictments is against his widow, uh, the woman who he was married to at the time. The judge accused her of conspiring with the former prime minister, Jean-Claude Joseph, to kill her husband and then she was planning to take his place as president. Now, as far as I know, she has not commented on this publicly, and I believe that she's actually in custody. But Jovenel Moyes was murdered in his home on July 7th, 2021. There was a squad of gunmen that showed up. Four of them were killed in a gun battle with police that took place immediately thereafter. And his wife, Martine Moyes was home at the time and she was shot in the arm and thigh during the attack. Now, I still don't believe that my husband has gone like this before my eyes without saying a last word to me. This pain will never pass. She said from her hospital bed in Miami just a few days after the assassination. You have to be a notorious criminal without guts to assassinate a president like Jovenel Moyes with impunity without giving him the chance to speak. You knew who was the president. You knew who the president was fighting against. She said to the killers in an audio statement released from the hospital. Now, I don't disagree with her there. I tend to believe that Jovenel Moise was working to actually fix some of the corruption, or even at at best, a lot of the corruption, if not all of the corruption that was taking place in Haiti. Obviously, Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Global Initiative, they had a strong presence down there in Haiti. Uh, If Jovenel Moise was working against the best interests of those deep state uh, uh, attendees that were working down there in Haiti, perhaps to traffic children or to uh, continue to use it as a hub of criminal activity uh obviously it's an easy thing to assassinate a uh, the president of a third world nation and then just install somebody else but in february 2023 Federal agents arrested four additional suspects in South Florida that were accused of playing a role in the Moyes murder plot, and that included the f- the owner of a security firm in the Miami area. Uh, as we know, the gun battle that ensued in the wake of the assassination, it appeared to be uh, some sort of tactical team that was involved, which is why I thought, you know, easily it could have been CIA. Now, just because these men living in uh, in Miami had a private business doesn't mean that they weren't uh Somehow, directly involved with an intelligence agency. The CIA just seems the most likely to me. So while the murder of President Moyes occurred in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, most of the planning, funding, and direction of the plot to violently overthrow the president occurred right here in the United States. In the Southern District of Florida, beginning in early 2021, uh, this is U.S. Attorney Markenzie LaPointe, uh, who was commenting after the suspects were arrested. Haitian-American dual citizen Joseph Vincent, a 58-year-old man, was sentenced to life in prison in Miami in early February for advising the co-conspirators, arranging contacts for them with local community leaders, and encouraging protests against Moise's government as cover for the plot to overthrow him. So it looks like they were engaging in their own co- Revolution, which of course is a favorite tactic of the Central Intelligence Agency and of course uh, agents abroad. Now, according to court documents in the Vincent. The original plan was to abduct Moys, but the objective was later changed to assassination. Vincent was the fourth defendant to be sentenced to life in prison for the plot. The other three being a former Haitian senator, a Haitian businessman with dual Chilean citizenship, and a retired Colombian army officer. So it's an international plot to kill the president of Haiti and overthrow the government. The Haitian end of the investigation, I'm sorry, Lapointe said money and power were the likely motivations behind the assassination. And that resulted in poverty and chaos because Haiti descended into a nightmare of gang violence that still perpetuates to this very day. So on the Haitians' end, their investigation has been pretty tumultuous. It's been a little bit disjointed at best. Uh, and, of course, the island itself has kind of been uh, plunged into anarchy since the death of President Moyes. Walter Wesser-Voltaire is actually the fifth judge to oversee see this investigation since the assassination took place in 2021. Several of his predecessors resigned because they were getting death threats against their lives and the lives of their families. Now, the decision to indict Martine, the widow of President Moyes, former Prime Minister Jean-Claude Joseph, former National Police Chief Leon Charles and dozens of others is expected to further destabilize Haiti. Well, no doubt they're basically taking out uh, every former power holder from the nation. And of course, the the uh, former national police chief, uh, I mean, the former prime minister, I mean, this is like a a classic coup d'etat. Uh, obviously, again, the Central Intelligence Agency has had their hands in so many of these in so many third world nations all around the world. Now, in addition to the level of violence that the country is seeing right now, pillaging from gangs, uh, most uh, of Port-au-Prince is controlled by gangs. We've had a series of mass protests that have continued uh, against the Role of the current Prime Minister, Ariel Henry. Uh, some of them have been fairly violent, fairly destructive. Most Haitians believe that Henry is illegitimate and he's willing to do anything to retain power. It's one reason that the United Nations and its member states are reluctant to send any form of peacekeeping forces into Haiti to try to quell some of the violence uh, because the population is looking at them as foreign muscle that might be working to keep Henry in power. Now, the former chief of police, Leon Charles, he's faced the most serious indictments for murder. Weapons possession, conspiring against the Haitian state, and he's currently Haiti's permanent representative to the Organization of American States. So it makes sense that he would be involved with foreign assassins. Jim Kyle says America's laundromat before Ukraine. Yes, it was. Well, I mean, technically, we've been involved in Ukraine since the end of World War II. Uh, I think that I don't know if we can uh, separate, uh, you know, which was more effectively used as a uh, siphon for money. Uh, Definitely the Eastern European contingent uh, allowed for closer access to European banks and perhaps looser banking restrictions. But Haiti is so close in physical proximity. And, of course, the destabilized nature of this country uh, that continues to this day made it very easy. But Hillary Clinton loved Haiti. The Bidens loved Ukraine. I mean, let's be honest here. The American deep state has had their fingers in so many pies in so many different in every continent and every country virtually around the world. Uh, And I'm sure that there are criminal activities taking place in all of them uh, that would allow for this sort of stuff to take place. Now, the former prime minister... Claude Joseph. He is the only high profile indictee, which granted an interview to the associated press. He accused Henry of undermining the Moyes investigation and weaponizing Haiti's justice system and prosecuting political opponents like me, setting himself up for the political prosecution route. Now, this is so twisting, so complicated. I am not comfortable suggesting any specific outcome or truth to this story. Uh, It makes sense to me that there would be a political uh, assassination and a destabilizing of the nation for people to get the money and power for themselves. I mean, I feel like this is the story that Haiti keeps reliving over and over and over again. But Joseph, the former prime minister, says it's a classic coup d'etat. They failed to kill me and Martine Moyes on July 7th, 2021, and now they're using the Haitian justice system to advance their Machiavellian agenda. Now, Joseph called on Henry to resign and said that he would not stop this fight to see that justice is served. So, the accusations coming from the judge, Voltaire, said that Martine Moyes planned to assume power herself after conspiring to murder her husband. And, of course, that's pretty uh, pretty devastating claims right there. We don't have any sort of evidence to show why this claim has been made. uh, But, obviously, it's going to have to be borne out. Now, if the evidence exists, uh, what uh, form is it going to take? Do we have messages? Do we have emails? Do we have specific Communications? Do we have people that were involved in the planning and actual uh, 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 the the actual commission of this assassination? Do they have communications with Martin Moyes? Well, we're going to have to find out. But there are several defendants who have taken guilty pleas in U.S. courts. And they say that the plan was to replace Moyes with a 65-year-old Haitian-American physician and pastor named Christian Emmanuel Sanan. We heard that one uh, when these arrests took place early last year. So this is the first time I'm hearing that the wife, the widow, is the one who was planning to assume the position. There is always the op- the possibility that Voltaire, Judge Voltaire, himself is corrupt and that the former prime minister is correct. This may be... A different form of coup d'etat. So indictments were filed against that man, Christian Emmanuel Sanan in U.S. federal court just last week. And the charges were planning to kidnap or kill Jovenel Moise and then take his place as the leader of Haiti. So Sanan has already been charged with conspiracy to smuggle bulletproof vests into the country of Haiti so that they could be used by the Colombian hit squad. However, prosecutors here in the U.S. believed there was a different candidate that had been selected to replace the conspiracy, to replace Moyes. That was a female Haitian Supreme Court justice by the name of Wendell Cook Thalote. So the FBI said that they uncovered substantial new evidence that Sinan was one of the primary authors in this assassination plot and that he did plan to take over for Moyes after his death. However, in the indictment just filed by this judge Voltaire, he had testimony from a former Haitian Justice Ministry official by the name of Joseph Badayo, who said that it was Moïse's wife, Martine and Claude Joseph, who then planned to monopolize power after the killing of Jovenel Moïse. Now, there is quoted testimony from former National Palace Secretary General Lionel Valbrun that was given 2 days before the assassination. In that uh, testimony, Martine spent five hours at the National Palace retrieving a bunch of things. And then two days after the killings, she pressured Valbrun to open the presidential palace so that she could prepare to succeed, excuse me, succeed her slain husband. So that appears to be the evidence against Martine. Jovenel didn't do anything for us. You have to open the office. The president told Kai Ty Claude to create a council of ministers. He will hold elections in three months so I can become president. Now we will have power. This is what Martine allegedly said to him. Ty Claude is a nickname for Claude Joseph, the former prime minister. So the indictment now is being challenged, of course, by Martine Moyes' statement. She said that she survived by hiding under the bed during the assassination because the assassins were determined uh, to kill everyone in the home. Uh, Voltaire has picturesquely asserted that not even a giant rat could fit under The bed. Maybe we're going to see a O.J. Simpson uh, in not fitting into the glove type scenario when we get to the trial. But this is so wild. Uh, I'm glad finally that we're getting some movement on the case because obviously the assassination of a political leader in any nation is unacceptable. You know what else I believe to be unacceptable? And I just want everybody to be clear. I am of the opinion that Julian Assange is a hero. I believe that Julian Assange is one of the most important journalistic figures of the 20th and now the 21st century. And that the work done by WikiLeaks under his uh, leadership is second to none. Uh, The revelations and the releases that were put out by WikiLeaks... Uh, did good for this country, and they exposed uh, an innumerable uh, corruption and uh, and and just bad deals being done by the United States government, both here and abroad. So we have now received recently revealed emails from a FOIA request by the Black Vault, excuse me, uh, uh, being released by the FBI vault. Black Vault is a different uh, website altogether. But these are declassified emails, uh, from January 6th that uh, include FBI agents discussing the, uh, uh, the, the Assange trial and, and the attempted extradition to get Julian Assange back here. Maggie Bunn says, uh-oh, Zach, Just Human will fight you over that. Yeah, I, I know he will. You know, but that's fine. I don't need to, um, i I don't need to, uh, uh, subscribe to the same things that Julian, or that, that Just Human does, and he doesn't need to subscribe to the same ideas that I do. So and I'll be happy to tell you why um, I do not believe that any of the revelations that Julian Assange put out uh, resulted in danger to uh, American servicemen uh, or to anyone else. If anything, he saved lives as a result of holding the military accountable for their wholesale slaughter of innocent journalists in Iraq. Uh, there was uh, some really bad stuff that happened. And uh, there needed to be a change. Uh, also, the WikiLeaks email release, uh, the exposure of John Podesta and his uh, pedophile, uh, 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 I guess, ring that he was hanging out with. I, I don't know how you can look at the revelation of that and not say that that was a seminal moment in uh, American history and in, in journalistic integrity. Um Julian Assange was not an American citizen, so the fact that he's being charged under the Espionage Act is not something that uh, should even be considered. Uh, I think that the i I think that the treatment of Julian Assange under Donald Trump's administration is probably the one thing that I truly regret uh, when I look back at uh, President Trump's time in office so that is uh, that's my opinion on Julian Assange so why were the FBI agents talking about it? Well, at the time, uh, or surrounding January 6th, uh, there were some internal emails discussing the, um, attempts by the United States to extradite Julian Assange. Back here to the United States to stand trial. On the 87th page of these newly released documents, uh, there was an FBI special agent by the name of Christine O'Neill, who sent an email regarding Julian Assange's extradition uh, to Stacey R. Moy, who was special agent in charge of the FBI's counterintelligence division. In that email, O'Neill wrote, I'm just making sure you saw this update. WikiLeaks Julian Assange cannot be extradited to the US to face espionage charges, UK court rules. And then O'Neill attached the ABC article that was discussing the case. Uh, Special Agent Moy, who was the first to announce Assange's second superseding indictment in 2020, ended up replying and said, yep, thanks, disappointing, but not surprised given everything in this case. So, you know, let's also take a look at who it is that is uh, going after Julian Assange. You know, the the persecution of Julian Assange did not begin in earnest until Julian Assange released information that specifically hurt Hillary Clinton and the people in her orbit. Uh, And uh, of course, uh, I truly do believe that Seth Rich was murdered as a result of being the intermediary to get this information to Julian Assange. it's it, in my opinion, it's the deep state itself that hates Julian Assange because he posed a threat to uh, their uh, clandestine efforts to control the United States and, of course, the rest of the world. So. Uh, Flying Storm says, Zach, wake up from my afternoon nap. You want me to wake up from your afternoon nap? <laughs> mm. Or are you waking up from your afternoon nap and it's me that's waking you up? So anyways, uh, kind of interesting that the conversation, uh, has now been revealed, uh, as having been had by the FBI. Um, you know, Julian Assange used to be a hero. Like, like he used to be perceived as a, uh, uh, like, you know, some, you know, great journalistic force. And it was only when Donald Trump was going to benefit from the releases that were coming out of WikiLeaks. Uh, and it wasn't even Julian Assange's explicit intention to benefit Donald Trump. He wanted to release this information because it was newsworthy and it was notable for the public. Uh, and so here we are. And I think that the truth about Julian Assange will shake out at some point in the future. Um, but, uh, but yes, so we'll find out what happened. Yes, uh, Julian Assange does look like John Trump. That's correct. All right. So since we're on the subject of the FBI and communications and uh, the the um, uh, the corruption of the deep state establishment that was put in place to destroy good people, let's talk about that missing crossfire hurricane binder that we've spoken about very recently. Now, this is the same binder containing all of the declassified information that President Trump ordered to be revealed to the American public. He demanded that it be released. Now, of course, it is the deep state. It is the FBI. It is the Department of Justice that wanted to keep it hidden from the American people. They did not want the American people to know the full scope of the uh, classified and clandestine efforts to destroy Donald Trump. The one man in modern history in the office of the presidency who truly worked to set America on the right path. Now, yes, Ronald Reagan did as well, but Donald Trump did it in the modern era to a much, much greater degree. I think I was, you know, like eight years old when Ronald Reagan left the office of the presidency. But this binder had hundreds of pages surrounding the crossfire hurricane scandal. It also had damaging information about all of the corrupt bad actors that were working in our government. There were two different DOJ attorney generals who specifically defied President Trump's lawful order to push this binder out to the Federal Register and then make it available to the American public. We've had over three years now since President Trump left Washington DC and despite his lawful order from before leaving Leaving the presidency, the DOJ continues to defy that order, and they will not honor any FOIA requests that people send in who are trying to make it public. So now it is a question of When? Because when President Trump returns to the office of the presidency, I would imagine that the first thing he's going to do is to ensure that this information gets out to the public. Now, this is the memorandum that President Trump released in his last days in the presidency, actually the day before uh, he left the presidency memorandum on declassification of certain materials related to the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. This is where by the authority granted in him as president of the United States by the constitution and the laws of this United States, he granted the release of all of this information and for it to be published in the federal register. This was the D class that so many of us were waiting for. Now, the DOJ refused to release it because they said that sources and methods would be revealed if they were not allowed to make redactions. And so they sent the binder back to the White House. Before President Trump left office, the FBI also came out and said they wanted to redact the names of the people who were involved in the scandal. So then, of course, the American people would not know exactly who had been involved, even though we had all of the names. You know, you guys have seen all of the, the charts and, and the graphics and all of that. So at the last minute, the DOJ demanded that the binder comply with the 1974 Privacy Act. This is an act that requires any agency that releases records to also hide personal and identifying information. Now, here's the kicker. The DOJ ought to have known, I'm certain they did, that this particular law did not apply to the White House. Why? Because the White House is not an agency. It was just a tactic that they used to ensure that this information would never come out until President Trump was finally returned to force the issue. They decided 22 years ago, the DOJ itself, that the Privacy Act was based on FOIA requests. So the White House, not being an agency is not subject to that 1974 Privacy Act. Here is a page that came from the Memorandum on Declassification of the Materials, uh, like the ones that the FBI Crossfire Hurricane scandal should have revealed to the public. Right here, in the actual release itself, he says, a binder of materials related to the FBI's investigation of Crossfire Hurricane. In the binder, we have classified details that have not been released to Congress and the public. I determine the materials in that binder should be declassified to the maximum extent possible. I hereby declassify the remaining materials in the binder. So then President Trump leaves the White House on January 20th. Mark Meadows gives the binder back to the DOJ along with this memo demanding that they release all the information. He asked the DOJ to make any Privacy Act redactions out of an abundance of caution. And then in the memo, he asks that they expeditiously release the binder when they're finished. Obviously, they never did that. Mark Meadows, I think, uh, maybe foolishly believed that they... they... They would do exactly what they said they were going to do. And then a couple of days later, it would end up coming out. However, the DOJ never released it, the Federal Register never got it, the National Archives never got any copies of it, and of course, this is par for the course. Uh, There were so many different federal agencies and individuals in President Trump's administration who actively defied his orders. This is what was referred to at the outset of Trump's time in office as the resistance. The resistance would not allow this information to be made public. So... The binder allegedly has intercepted transcripts that were made by the FBI on a variety of President Trump's own staff. It has the tasking orders and the debriefings of Christopher Steele and Stefan Halper. It's got the FBI's main confidential human sources in the Crossfire Hurricane scandal. We've also got a copy of the final FISA warrant that was approved by the intelligence court. Plus, it contains details about Fiona Hill, Is the woman who introduced Christopher Steele to the FBI, and the list goes on and on. Essentially, everything that we spoke about for the entirety of President Trump's time in office, four years discussing Crossfire Hurricane and all of the other various Crossfire investigations, All of it would be included in this binder that President Trump intended to have released to the public. So this seems to be what the FBI was looking for when they broke into President Trump's home on the raid at Mar-a-Lago. So under FOIA... Uh, there have been a number of people who have tried to get the binder of communications uh, to be released along with redactions. Judicial watch actually filed a lawsuit against the DOJ uh, to receive all of these documents. Cash Patel has also worked to get these documents released. He said it's illegal to hide documents from publication through the FOIA process. If their sole purpose is to cover up an embarrassment or unlawful activity. And that's what's going on right now. Now, When Mark Meadows delivered that binder to the DOJ, Jeffrey Rosen was acting as attorney general. On the afternoon of the 20th, after the transfer of power, a man by the name of Monty Wilkinson became the acting AG. So it was Wilkinson, somebody who used to work directly with uh, Loretta Lynch and uh, Eric Holder, who was the one responsible for preventing the release of that binder. I guess he sat on it for some seven weeks until Merrick Garland was sworn in in March. Uh, And then Garland appointed Wilkinson a director who is now overseeing the executive office for U.S. attorneys. So he got himself a promotion because he failed to release the contents of that binder. And then, of course, in August of 2022, we had the raid at Mar-a-Lago. There was uh, a missing top secret binder that was reported at that time. And we find ourselves now in the situation we are today. I truly don't believe that we're going to see the contents of this binder until President Trump returns to office, because as long as deep state assets are sitting in the position of power that they are today, they will never allow this information to come out. Because even though we know it's true, even though we know Crossfire Hurricane was a real investigation, a clandestine effort to take down and destroy President Trump and all the people in his orbit, even though we know it's true, They will never allow it to be seen by the public. All right, you guys, before we continue, I need to remind you about the sponsors of the next portion of the program. First of all, it's going to be my friends at onenessdrops.com. Don't forget, you can get your chlorine dioxide, water purification kits, antibacterial, antiviral. It will kill all sorts of Creepy Crawlies that you might find in your water, it will make unclean water safe to drink, make it potable so that you can be rest assured that you're not going to be getting any nasty bugs like Giardia or anything else into your system. So when you go to onenessdrops.com, make sure you use code RP78 to save 15% off your order every single time you order. Every time, use code RP78, you'll save the most amount of money you possibly can. It comes in a variety of different formulations, but trust me, it's a chemical reaction. No matter which one you get, when you add them together, it makes chlorine dioxide, and all of it operates exactly the same. Do your research on chlorine dioxide. Don't take my word for it. As I've told you so many times in the past, it's also known as the universal antidote because it's used for so many different things. Uh, I use chlorine dioxide every single day. The dogs and the cat use chlorine dioxide every single day. Uh, You can use it as an additive to their water to help keep their teeth clean. And that's one of the ways that I use it every single day. I use it as a mouthwash and it kills bacteria. I had to get my teeth cleaned today, and the dental assistant said I've got basically nothing that I need to clean off your teeth. And that's because I take care of them, and I use chlorine dioxide to make sure that I don't have any bugs, bacteria, or or the like crawling around in my mouth. Also, uh, when you head over to MyPillow.com, make sure you also use code RP78 to get the best possible prices on all of Mike Lindell's American-designed and manufactured products, whether it's uh, the beach or the bath towels, uh, the bath robes, the MyPillow 2.0 or the MyPillow mattress topper. Every single one of Mike Lindell's amazing products, you will get a big discount by using code RP78. And, of course, at the same time, you are supporting Mike Lindell's efforts to continue hiring and funding American business and enterprise. You will also support efforts to secure our election system and, of course, to also support the podcast here on Red Pill 78. And then finally you can also head on over to prepare with redpill78.com to get a deal on a 4 week supply of emergency food you can save 60% excuse me 60 dollars rather off a 4 week supply of emergency food you just go to Prepare with Red Pill 78. You will automatically get the discount applied. Uh, these are breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. It's survival food, so it's not something you're going to be eating every day. But if you lose the ability to get food, uh, if the supply chain breaks down, you're going to want to have emergency food on hand because you never know what's going to happen. 2024 has already been pretty lit, and who knows where it's going to be by the time we get to November. So please head on over to Prepare with Red Pill seventy eight. Dot com. Use that link to get the best deal possible. All of these things will allow you to continue supporting the show and, at the same time, supporting yourself, your family, and your health. All right, so we need to discuss these recently released documents, even though we're not getting the Spygate documents. We are learning that apparently Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather was a murderer who was pardoned by Abraham Lincoln. What do you think could have happened to America if Joe Biden's grandfather had never been pardoned and he would have died in prison? Nurse Penny says, Zach, I wash my makeup off, then wipe my face with a paper towel dipped in chlorine dioxide. It keeps my rosacea at bay by killing demodex mites naturally on my skin. Hey, that's that's a great tip. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Penny. I appreciate that. And hold on. Ah uh, yes, I see you set it up there too okay cool uh you Zach. you can you add that yes, you can add chlorine dioxide to distilled water absolutely um you know, if, if you're drinking distilled water, I would suggest finding a way to mineralize it as well, because distilled water doesn't have any of the natural uh, minerals or electrolytes that your body needs. Like drinking simply purified water in that form is not the best for you. But yes, if that's what you're, if that's how you want to take it, you want to add chlorine dioxide to distilled water, you can totally do it. You can add it to any form of water, and it's just the same. But I recommend, you know, not health advice, but I recommend making sure that you're getting the proper minerals that you need. So let's talk about this odd case. Apparently, President Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather received a pardon from President Abraham Lincoln back in 1864. This would have been his paternal great-great-grandfather, Moses Johnson Rubbinette. He was convicted of stabbing a fellow Union Army employee. Robinette, I guess, stabbed a man by the name of John J. Alexander. He was a civilian brigade wagon master. Uh, I guess that he confronted Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather for allegedly making an inappropriate comment about a female cook in the mess shanty. And that was enough for Joe Biden's great-great-grandfather to stab this guy to death. What about the ancestors of John J. Alexander that were never able to be born? The stabbing occurred on March 21st, 1864, at a Union Army camp in Beverly Ford, Virginia. This was on the banks of the Rappahannock River. And Robinette was serving as a veterinary surgeon in the U.S. Army Quartermaster's Department. He was responsible for the care of the horses and the mules that were pulling the artillery wagons. Now, I guess he didn't have any formal training as a physician or even as a veterinarian. So how he got that job, I'm not sure. Kind of similar to how Joe Biden doesn't have the uh, experience or even ability to be president today. There is a long history of nepotism in the Biden family. Now, in his defense, Robinette said. Whatever I have done was done in self-defense, that I had no malice towards Mr. Alexander before or since. He grabbed me and possibly might have injured me seriously, had I not resorted to the means I did. This was stated during his military court-martial. So, Robinette was charged with attempted murder, even though he actually murdered the guy. He was also charged with violations of good order and military discipline. So, He was unanimously convicted on all the charges except attempted murder. So three months later, he's doing hard labor at Dry Tortugas Island down near Key West. This was apparently called American Siberia at that point. And then shortly after he arrived, there were a segment of Union Army officers who wrote a request for clemency to Abraham Lincoln. Asking uh, for him to be pardoned because they said he defended himself and he was cutting with a penknife a teamster much superior in strength and size, all under the impulse of the excitement of the moment. I think it's funny when people have uh, excitement in the moment and their first thought is to stab a man to death. You've got to have a, a, a certain amount of uh, intention to stab a man to death. I mean, how many times did he stab him? I don't know. And if it was only a pen knife, it was a small knife. But anyways, they claim that he was ardent and influential in opposing traitors and their schemes to destroy the government. Think of his motherless daughters and sons at home, praying for your interposition in behalf of the unfortunate father and distressed family of loved children, union daughters and union sons. So he was also endorsed by Republican Senator Waitman T. Wiley of West Virginia. He recommended to Lincoln that he be pardoned and that was granted. Lincoln wrote uh, pardon for unexecuted part of punishment. A Lincoln, September first, eighteen sixty-four. And the Department of Law the Department of War later issued Special Order two ninety six, which resulted in Robinet being freed from prison. It was just one month of incarceration that he saw. He had I guess run a hotel in Grafton, Virginia, uh and uh, that hotel was destroyed during the Civil War. So he returned to Maryland where his family had fled from Virginia after being released from prison and he ended up dying in 1903. And of course we know that the uh honorable Joseph Robinette Biden his uh, his, his kin was born just a couple of years later. Kind of funny to think That Joe Biden, being born in uh, the earlier part of the 20th century, uh, he he was not very far removed from the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. That's a funny thought. All right. So speaking of Joe Biden and his criminal racketeering network that's set up within the confines of the Biden crime family. Whoa. Do you guys see this? This is not normal. What just happened here? This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. This is very, very odd. Hold on. Let me refresh this. All right. So, the story is about the mainstream media finally admitting that Joe Biden was involved in his brother's efforts to defraud AmeriCorps. So, Politico is now reporting that President Joe Biden was directly involved in James Biden's lucrative family dealings with AmeriCorps. The article seemingly contradicts previous reporting from Politico itself back in October. They stated at that time there was no smoking gun that existed that the Biden family was involved in any wrongdoing. Uh, At that time, they were attempting to dismiss the Hunter Biden laptop story. And uh, quite often, I mean, Politico is playing interference for Joe Biden and explaining away any of the criminal dealings that he's been involved with. But now they are reporting that Joe Biden's name and inner circle were more involved with the company than has been understood I have to believe that this is all part of the coordinated effort by the deep state to get Joe Biden to step down and not be the candidate uh, come November. I have to say, though, I hope Joe Biden stays in the race. I want him to be the candidate come November because there is no better opponent for Donald Trump to run against the stark difference between the two men, similar in age, however, light years away from each other in terms of cognition and intelligence. Donald Trump is the top of the heap. Joe Biden is the back end of the bell curve. So the investigation they are reporting reveals that Joe Biden's name and inner circle were more involved with the company than has been understood. In addition to the accounts provided by former executives, investor materials described Jim Biden as an advisor to his older brother. And so on top of Joe Biden's own previously reported encounter with the firm's CEO, at least three of Joe Biden's relatives did work with AmeriCorps. No shit, Sherlock. Good to see you catching up. They included Jim Biden's wife, Sarah, his son, Jamie, and the president's son, Hunter Biden. All of them met with the CEO and his personal doctor, White House physician Kevin O'Connor, the same guy who keeps telling us that Joe Biden doesn't need to take a cognitive test. I guess they all joined a meeting with Jim Biden and the president of the hospital that was being acquired by AmeriCorps. And that includes a former executive and a number of emails that were obtained by Politico. So Their change in reporting is coming months after the House Oversight Committee specifically exposed Jim Biden for having taken a $200 check And depositing it into Joe Biden's bank account. That $200 was directly after the suspicious $600,000 loan that Jim Biden received from AmeriCorps. Back on March 1st of 2018, AmeriCorps wired him $2,000. Excuse me, $200,000. And then that same day, James Biden sent Joe Biden that $200,000 check. The denial, of course, from James Biden that the $200,000 he gave Joe Biden had anything to do with the $200,000 he had just received from that hospital. But, of course, you have to be uh, a really dim bulb to believe that. About as dim as Fanny and Nathan to think that uh, the excuse of being paid in cash is somehow going to be believable. Remember, Jim Biden said, oh, this was a loan. This was a pre-existing loan. I was paying Joe back. But, of course, Joe and Jim do not have any proof of any such loan ever having been given. There was no contract. There was no agreement. There was no $200,000 coming from Joe Biden to Jim Biden. In fact, if you take a look at financial transactions that have to do with the Biden family, I don't believe there was ever any money flowing out of Joe Biden. It was always money flowing in and then making its way to Joe Biden. So fascinating that Politico is now finally reporting on the truth of the situation. Again, I think that it's all about ensuring that Joe Biden does not end up being the nominee once we get to November. So uh, you can't trust these people one bit. Oh, hang on just a second. I I see Uncensored Abe is out there in the audience. Good to see you, buddy. Uh, FilterDog says, why do they want to know the batch numbers? How bad is my batch? Because they can track batch numbers for people who have had that batch number. So when you go in and report an adverse event, the batch number is associated with that report. So, you know, let's say that you're sick and you have your batch number, you go and you input it and you see, oh my God, there's hundreds of people who received this exact same batch and they're all having the same symptoms or they all have different symptoms. It's just a manner of tracking it so that they can see how bad that batch is. Uh, Porpoiseful says, thank you for all you do, Zach. Thank you. Rise attire. Good to see you, brother. He says, we met Trump today on the tarmac in Greenville. He signed and loved my Dragon Ball T-shirt and asked for my card. That's amazing, dude. Congratulations. He said, great show on Friday night, brother. Christina and I were completely transfixed. Good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, let's see. Uncensored Abe, my brother from another mother. Good to see you. Dropping a cookie. Filter Dog says... As Sangi reported on war crimes, which is why they oh yes, Assange reported on war crimes, which is why they want him dead. I agree one hundred percent, yeah, uh Sean Joe, thank you for that cookie and the can uh and then another cookie. Uh, thank you to Liberty Bells and porpoiseville for dropping cookies as well so Joe Biden and his White House, in the wake of the Robert herr special counsel report. Uh, I reported about a week or I guess maybe it was two weeks ago now uh, when the report dropped that they were considering releasing the transcript of Joe Biden's interviews. Um, I, I said at the time that that would be a problem that would open Joe Biden up to more scrutiny. Uh, and uh, it looks like talking heads on Fox News are uh, stating the same thing. Uh, Britt Hume, who is not a fan of President Trump, said there are concerns that the Biden administration would have to deal with further political embarrassment. I think that is the understatement of the century. Uh, this is stands to destroy the Biden presidency to an even greater degree than it already has been destroyed. The American people see the true side of Joe Biden being questioned, not remembering, being lost or fumbling around about answers, getting angry. I think that it would only help to better serve our argument that Joe Biden needs be nowhere near the White House. Speaking of South Carolina, uh, President Trump is looking to soundly beat Haley Nikki Haley and anybody else who might want to throw their hats in the ring. Uh, he is, of course, going to take South Carolina by storm. The primary is in a very short amount of time uh, from surveys that have been done with South Carolina voters. President Trump is looking to receive at the time 63 percent of the support of eligible voters there. That puts him a full 28 points ahead of the former governor and uh, the native South Carolinian Nikki Haley. Uh, David so he's the director of Suffolk University Political Research Center, said that the survey shows the depth of strength shown by Trump, that same depth of strength that's shown in virtually every state in our union. This particular survey was taken between the 15th and the 18th. It was given to 500 likely South Carolina primary voters, and it has a minus- plus minus 4.4% margin of error. So even taking that 4.4% margin of error into account, President Trump is still beating the tar off of Nikki Haley. Uh, this also coincides with the release of an Emerson College survey, which was looking also at the Palmetto State. They showed President Trump with a double-digit lead over Nikki Haley, 58% to 35%. That's a difference of 23 points. So that actually pretty much lines up with that 4.4% margin of error. Now, Republicans are breaking for Trump 71% to 29% for Haley. Independents are leaning towards Haley 54% to Haley to Trump's 46%. This is significant because South Carolina is an open primary state. However, I think at the end of the day, there will be far more people who directly vote for President Trump and want to bury Nikki Haley. Now, finally, guys, before we end today, we're going to conclude by talking about the situation taking place in the state of New York. Um, the ruling from Judge Arthur and Gorin, I've always said that the ruling is not going to stick. President Trump is going to appeal it. It's an unfair verdict, and there are some specific legal talking points that we're going to get into in just a moment. However, it appears that Judge Ngor has introduced something of a a poison pill, a a, a caveat, a catch-22, if you will, which even if President Trump successfully is able to overturn this ruling, win it on appeal. It looks like Judge Arthur and Gorin has included a stipulation that President Trump is still going to have to pay. It means he's going to have to liquidate his assets if he goes to appeal. It's a little known and very not often used statute that allowed Judge Arthur and Gorin to do this. But it looks like President Trump if the reading of this ruling is correct, is going to be stuck on the hook for three hundred and fifty four million dollars in fines. Or if you include interest over four hundred and fifty million, that is nearly a half a billion dollars. Now, obviously, President Trump has uh, vast amounts of wealth. But his wealth is largely wrapped up in his assets. And so that would mean that he would then have to essentially liquidate the Trump administration, not the Trump administration, the Trump corporation, all of his holdings in the state of New York. And then he would have to use that money essentially to put down to uh, for the time being, at least pay the fines and then take the case to appeal. Uh, Letitia James, of course, has uh, been gunning for Trump this entire time. Judge Arthur and Gorin, clearly from the start, never liked Trump, wanted to help in taking him down. But under New York law, President Trump will be unable to appeal this ruling without depositing the full amount, including interest, into a court account. So $455 million is what he would have to come up with. And that is a large amount. Even if President Trump gets a bond company to guarantee the payment, uh, then that means that the, he's still going to have to pay fines and fees to them just to secure that money for him. So he's still going to end up paying millions of dollars. Judge Arthur and Gorin is essentially setting precedent for other New York businesses. If somebody decides in the same way Letitia James has decided that they want to take this business down in the future, maybe they find out they were a Trump supporter. Maybe they find out they're going to run for president. Maybe they find out that there's just something about them they don't like. Well, they've now set the precedent that any company in the state of New York can be taken down in exactly the same way. Uh, And Gorin is refusing to allow President Trump to escape this verdict in any meaningful way. And even though I truly do believe that he will not be able to hold this verdict up on appeal, President Trump will be able to beat it. It still means he's going to be on the hook for this money in the meantime. Now... The specific legal language that was used in this decision does not stand the test of time. It does not flow with the necessary burden of proof that has been used in this sort of case in the past. In fact, they actually used a much lower burden of proof uh, that would have been the equivalent of a, a traffic stop or something like that. So President Trump is going to be able to overturn this verdict on appeal. Uh, there is an attorney that is a litigating, litigating attorney in the state of New York, and she said that Judge Ngoren was trying to sidestep the need to apply all of the elements of fraud, namely victimhood. There is no victim in this case, and we've talked about this on so many different occasions. When Letitia James sued Trump and, of course, his children in the Trump Organization, she uh, attempted to claim that President Trump had inflated his assets to get more favorable business loans. And despite the fact that he and the organization paid the banks back, despite the fact that there was no loss of money, they still sued him for damages. Now, Judge Arthur and Gorin's main argument was that if President Trump had lowered the value of his assets, the loans that he received would not have been as favorable. And so, therefore, the bank would have received more money in interest. Well, this is also an argument that has never been used before. The court went to criminal statutes and case law that would normally be applied under a a beyond-a-reasonable-doubt standard. They did this so that they could sidestep the need for damages as an essential element of fraud. Again, there was no damages. The bank was paid in its entirety. They got the interest that they wanted from President Trump. So the statement from Judge N. makes it clear in the ruling that President Trump always made his loan payments. It makes it clear that there was no victim. But the decision concedes that despite false financial statements, it is undisputed that defendants have all made required payments on time. So again, the only conceivable damages are the hypothetical value of a different interest rate that the bank never even considered giving to President Trump. So Judge Arthur and Gorin makes the case in his decision against President Trump that the bank likely would have given President Trump a higher interest rate, which would have greatly increased the amount of interest that would have been paid back on that loan. So President Trump has great grounds for appeal in this case because the correct standard of law was not applied when Judge Arthur and Gorin made his decision. And of course, you know, b- b- when he refused to allow President Trump to even uh, to defend himself in court. And then, of course, there are the other ethical considerations we're going to get into in a moment. But in cases of civil fraud, there has to be a clear and convincing evidence standard. The court in President Trump's case applied a lower standard, the preponderance of the evidence standard. And this, again, is the sort of standard that you would think you would see in like a car accident case. And this is actually the justification that the court used to justify this particular standard. They used case law that had been cited in car accident cases. So President Trump is going to have this overturned. The real question now becomes, where is he going to get the 355 million or the 450 million that it will be required with the actual interest paid on this case? Now, uh, as I was stating, the 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 outlook for New York businesses is rather bleak. Uh, if you are a business owner in New York City or in the state of New York, why in the world would you want to stick around and do business? Uh, you have no assurance that the state isn't going to come after you as some sort of political uh, hit job. Uh, you have no sort of substance to the claim that you are safe and that you have nothing to worry about. And Governor Kathy Hochul's statement that nobody else is Donald Trump, and so they don't have to worry about having their businesses gone after, indicates that this was all political in nature, that there, again, was no victims here. It was simply a hit job by people who hated a wonderful man, a once great president and a once future president. This is... At one time, New York was seen as the the, the hub of capitalism in the United States. Uh, however, this blow to free enterprise, I think, is going to herald in a dark future for the city of New York and for the state as a whole. Uh, Kevin Leary, who is the guy from Shark Tank, I don't know much about him, I just know he's a big financial guy, uh, he is now claiming that New York is the worst state in the union in which to do business. Florida is number one. Uh, so... The state of New York and the city of New York are going to suffer greatly, which means that the people of New York are also going to suffer greatly. Again, I make the plea to anybody out there who can get out. You ought to get out as soon as possible because there is going to have to be a tremendous amount of effort made to ensure that your business is safe. In this sort of environment, uh, there is obviously major problems with the illegals coming across the border. There is major problems with city services as a result. Number one, Indiana Dad says we should get Fannie an ass shirt, uh, though it may be a different may require a different graphic. I thought Trump couldn't sell any New York assets for three years if this verdict is upheld. He cannot do business in New York for three years. The kids can't do business in New York. He won't be able to head up the company, uh, and he won't be able to be a business owner in New York. So he would be required to sell his assets. And, of course, they would require him to sell them because they would require the money to come from someplace. And if the only place he has it is in hard goods, you know, real estate, et cetera, well, then that would be the place it would come from. Well, this is a story about Kevin Leary, uh, specifically saying that he would not waste his time researching business opportunities in New York after this specific decision from Judge and Gorin. Let's go ahead and uh, see what Kevin stated exactly. He said that New York is a loser state due to the political climate. Uh, He's turning his attention to states like Oklahoma, North Dakota, West Virginia, Florida, and Texas for future business ventures. This is also uh, what a number of other major business owners across America have done as well. Now, let's talk about the ethical considerations of Judge Arthur and Gorin. Besides the fact that he was willing to take down a political opponent, somebody that he simply didn't like his politics, besides the fact that he likes to send these naked selfies to people in his alumni group, it also appears that there was a claim that Judge Arthur and Gorin was banging the secretary of opposing counsel in a previous case. That's also something that you are not supposed to do. So, Judge N'Gorin has appointed retired U.S. District Judge Barbara Jones to continue in her role as independent monitor of the Trump business empire, but expanded her authority to reveal financial disclosures before they are submitted to third parties. Uh, Judge uh, the Judge Ngorin, uh, called the. Actions of President Trump, a crime. He has levied a $355 million fine against him, uh, and nobody out there is holding Judge Arthur Ngorin to account for his behavior in the past. So, what did he do? Well, this is coming from 2002. This is from quite some time ago. The Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Nathan Lewin, who was the defense attorney for the Union of Orthodox Rabbis of the United States and Canada, said in the court's January 23 ruling against his client in several pretrial decisions is suspect because of the relationship of which he was not informed of until last month. This is a clear ethical violation. Judge Arthur and Gorin was having sex with the secretary of the opposing counsel during a previous case. That perhaps could have given him an edge in that case. Uh, in the case in question, Lewin, the opposing counsel, was defending the rabbis in an $11 million, $11 million defamation suit filed by Helen Shea Seeger of Borough Park, who claims their decision to allow her husband to remarry without requiring him to grant her a rabbinic divorce, in effect labeled her an unfit spouse. Uh, Lewin said in court papers that the law secretary Arthur Engoren claims he only began dating the secretary of the opposing counsel Christopher Sullivan on May 10th. This is when Judge Arthur Engoren was a judge and he was overseeing this case, seen by two attorneys. <laughs> He started having sex with the attorney of the, the secretary of one of those attorneys, uh, but he says that uh, Lewin says that Sullivan's actions in the case may have been influenced by information he received from the woman, uh, who was only identified as the name Sue. Uh, Lewin noted that Ngoren was drafting later decisions and communicating with the judge about this case during the time he was dating Sue. Uh, at the request of the defendants, uh, Schoenfeld recused himself from the case July 1st after revealing he had recently learned of the relationship. He said Ngoren's conduct raised ethical questions that he would report. Report to the appropriate authorities. Lewin noted in the papers uh, taking action in this case may be criminal in nature and asked the court to conduct a full investigation. Of course, nothing happened to Judge Arthur and Gorin. Uh, this is too big for bike. This is something I was just going to mention. No way any part of that pedo judge and Goran allegedly had any part of himself inside an actual woman. I thought that Judge Arthur and Goran was a gay man based upon these photos right here. Uh, and I, it's, I found it difficult to believe that he would be having sexual relationship with a woman as well. But who knows? Um, yeah, who knows? It's a weird world. All right. <clears throat> now. Also, update on the trucker boycott. Uh, this female trucker was interviewed by News Nation. She's joining the boycott of deliveries to New York following the egregious ruling by Judge Arthur and Gorin. Um, she was interviewed and said, uh, where is her statement? Uh, let's see. Mm, hang on. I thought there was a video. Yes, here we go.
6: It could shut New York City down. Um And, you know, I don't want to hurt the people of New York. That's not what I'm trying to do. But my part in it, if if New York just loses 10%, just 10% of the trucks that go in there, their prices are going to skyrocket on everything, from milk to eggs to any type of goods that the consumer needs. And when that happens, it's going to cost everybody more money. Yeah, but not every truck driver is getting...
4: If what she's proposing, 10%, 10% of the goods going into New York or even leaving New York, if they stop, that's going to be a significant pain point. And if everybody blames Arthur and Gorin, maybe we'll see some movement on this case in a different way. I think there are larger matters pressing New York. I tend to believe that A multi-pronged attack against the communist takeover of New York is what's necessary. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams has uh, been a driving force uh, behind the current crisis that we see there. It's not just in the courts. It's obviously also all over the streets. And the people of New York truly are victims in all of this. You know, I hear often, uh, you know, New Yorkers deserve what they're getting. Not everybody in New York uh, voted to elect Mayor Adams. Not everybody in New York wants to destroy Donald Trump. Um, however, it's everybody who's going to feel the pain of the effects of the destruction of New York. Apparently, Mayor Adams had a plan to give luxury Harlem condos to uh, these illegal aliens. And, of course, the people of New York were not too happy about it. Housing in New York is difficult to come by as it is, and at a reasonable price especially. But Adams had apparently given a luxury Harlem condominium complex to illegal aliens, and the people of New York are saying, no way. Uh, This is coming after a uh, a number of residents of New York uh, made their voices heard, let him know how furious they were about the plan, to allow these illegal aliens to move into this once upscale housing. It was a 35-story building. And it was uh, on the books, in a quiet fashion, set to become a homeless shelter that would then house these illegal immigrants. It was a plan that was only revealed to the community this week. They kept it under wraps for as long as they could. And, of course, the residents of the neighborhood saw the workers coming and going. They were bringing mattresses. They were bringing all of the amenities that illegals would need if they were going to live inside these luxury apartments. A resident said, Uh, Excuse me. Um, The 35 story building quietly slated to become a homeless shelter that could potentially house migrants was only revealed to the community this week when some neighborhood residents saw workers bringing bed frames and mattresses inside. And Adams announced last night, excuse me, announced this past Thursday night uh, that he would no longer be going forward with this this plan. I told the team. Find out what's going on here. We're not moving folks into a brand new building when you have long-term needs in a community. That's not going to happen. You will not have migrants and asylum seekers in that property. Uh, as if he's the one who's just finding out about it himself. Uh, I don't believe that, Mayor Adams. Despite the developers' initial plans for market-rate condominiums, development had been stalled and the building was left indefinitely empty. It would not have advanced as luxury housing. Instead of sitting vacant, the site will serve as a high-quality transitional housing for long-term New York City families with children experiencing homelessness. But it was actually going to be for illegal aliens. I'm sure that there are long-term residents of New York City who need, ho- who need housing, uh, but they're not offering it to them. We will be working with an experienced not-for-profit provider to help these families stabilize their lives and ultimately move into permanent housing. As we've always done, we will continue to maintain open lines of communication and work closely with the community every step of the way to ensure that we are collaboratively working to provide critical services for our neighbors in need. Uh, now, I guess this development has sat vacant for decades. This is how just messed up everything is in New York. Uh, now, a Harlem resident, was angry with Mayor Adams. He says, we don't want to hear any excuses. We have a dearth of affordable housing and we're being priced out of the community. The lack of respect is absolutely appalling. If you think that housing migrants in what was intended to be a luxury high-rise is appalling, wait until you hear about this. Apparently... Residents of New York are now also learning that illegal aliens coming into New York City are going to be receiving debit cards worth up to $10,000 each. Remember when I reported that they were going to be giving them $1,000 a month for food? Uh, Addicted to drums says, appreciate your work ethic, Zach. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you being here. Well, now they're going to give them $10,000 credit cards. Can you imagine? Like tell me guys how would your life change if the government handed you a credit card with $10,000 on it that you never had to pay back a debit card rather with $10,000 on it how would your life change what would you do with that money right now what critical needs in your life would you immediately take care of with that $10,000 I know exactly what I do I can think about it all I've I've got everything already planned out but here's the thing guys here's the catch They're not going to give us $10,000. They're not going to give American residents, American citizens, $10,000. They're going to give it to the illegal border crossers who invaded our country and went to a sanctuary city like New York City. This is absolutely insane. And if I was a resident of New York, if I was one of those people who had been priced out of affordable housing, kicked out on the street because the the landlord wants you out so they can rent it to some Park Avenue liberal who's going to want to put tens of thousands of dollars a month into their apartment, well, I would be pissed off. Why would anyone go anywhere else except for New York? Why would these illegals end up in any other state, in any other city, if they could just show up in the Big Apple and get $10,000 a month? This isn't a one-time thing. This is an ongoing program. Ten grand a month that they would be able to give them. And, you know, you take a look at some of the stuff that these people have. How long has this program been going on? How did everybody get mopeds? How does everybody have homes and, and places to live? And how are they living so well? $10,000, $10,000 a month, these people are getting. So take a look at this. This is a $50 million program that Mayor Adams has put together Uh Earlier this month, the New York Post wrote the story that Mayor Adams is giving up prepaid cash cards to migrants. That's when we talked about it. They, they said $1,000 apiece. That was bad enough. Uh, however, the story didn't get a lot of play at the time. And now it turns out that it's actually a lot more than $1,000 at a time. Uh, Warrior Mima says, Zach, you don't think Ngoran would take Trump Tower away from him and give it to the city to house illegals, do you? Just thinking out loud. Well, I don't think they would be able to just take it away. I think that at at best – well, I mean at worst, I guess, President Trump would be forced to sell Trump Tower. Now, I think that President Trump is going to do whatever he can to not have to liquidate his assets. Maybe – there are people out there with money who are willing to help President Trump and who will, you know, help him acquire the the three hundred or four hundred and fifty five million dollars to put into that account because they know they're going to get it back. I think that liquidation of President Trump's assets is the absolute last, like that. That's like the the, the worst case scenario. But I can't think of a good damn reason why they would give illegal aliens ten thousand dollars a month but that's exactly what they're doing now these same illegal aliens are the ones attacking police it happened again another massive brawl broke out in one of these illegal alien shelters and the officers of the nypd uh, have been violently attacked as a result we've got video let's go ahead and watch it These ungrateful bastards. They got no right to be here. This looks like a Venezuelan prison riot. Stop resisting! Stop resisting! is absolutely insane. I cannot believe this is America you guys. Start cracking skulls. Why are they not doing anything? Uh, probably because they know that they will get mobbed if they start using those batons.
6: Oh god, back up. Back up. No, 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 no. Security, surround the cops. Surround the cops. Surround the cops. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch
4: out, watch out. Security's yeah. like, I don't want to get my ass kicked. I'm not getting paid enough to get my ass kicked.
6: What's <laughs> up, Travel let's go travel let's go, let's go.
4: We're going to build the wall. (laughs) We must build that freaking wall. We must mass deport all of these illegal invaders. We simply cannot allow this to continue. This is the scary part, guys. It's gonna. And Joe Biden is threatening, he is extorting Congress and the American people, planning to allow illegal aliens to be free from deportation, allowing the Department of Homeland Security to continue to protect them, cutting immigration enforcement on the interior of the country, and essentially allowing the illegal alien migration to continue unabated into the heartland of America. This is a threat designed to force the Congress into signing over as many billions of dollars as they possibly can uh which of course they're just simply going to hand over to non-governmental organizations which will facilitate additional illegal aliens coming into the country. These are violent criminals often with gang affiliations who will kill you as soon as look at you. They're not coming to America because they respect this country or because they want to integrate into the fabric of society. They're Coming to America because they want to take it over and they want to punish the American people. They see the American people in the same way that they see the meddling central intelligence agency that has gone and destabilized their countries in years past. They see us as easy pickings. They see America as a way to come in and just join a criminal network that's already been set up for them. And, of course, Joe Biden wants to continue this as much as possible so that he can destroy the fabric of society. And then eventually, come November, he's going to give them all the ability to vote. My dear God, my dear God, someone in the chat earlier said America needs Jesus. We need Jesus more than at any time in our history. So continue to pray for America, and I'll be real honest, you guys, make sure you got your gold, silver, and plenty of lead, because you never know, you never know what's going to happen. All right, you guys. I need to say thank you so much to Miranda. She sent us a whole bunch of uh, bounty paper towel. I just went and picked it up today from the uh, the mailbox. So thank you very much, Miranda. And uh, thank you, as always, to everybody for hanging out with us today. We're going to go ahead and go through the final thank yous over here at Pilled.net. Uh, let me see. Uh, we don't have any more. Maybe Liberty Bells and Porpoise Fold. Thank you very much, you guys. I appreciate you. All right. Uh, if you haven't yet, before you go, please hit the like button. Please consider sharing the show. I would sincerely appreciate it. Uh, if you guys, uh, also haven't, if you would, uh, consider, uh, making sure you're subscribed to the channel and, uh, I'm not getting an accurate view count on here, but, uh, either way, if I don't see you tomorrow at 5 PM, maybe I'll see you at 9 PM on Altered State with Brad and, uh, Yeah, I I guess that's it. I've got nothing more. I am exhausted. This is uh, absolutely insane what I see happening in America today. All right, you guys, good luck. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.